Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitude's mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah and I am your host. Today's guest is Dan. He has been in recovery for alcoholism for over 10 years. He is also a licensed clinical supervisor at Caldwell Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. He shares with us how he always felt very different as a youngster and how drinking alcohol helped him to feel normal and more accepted. We also discussed how sobriety turned his life around and helped him find purpose. So enjoy the show with Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Thank you. Dan, uh, who has been in recovery for 10 years, is also a licensed chemical dependency counselor and certified clinical supervisor in Houston called the Caldwell Counseling Center and has been a part of the recovery community for more than a decade. Um, Dan, you've got um, quite a, a background in recovery and 
I'm sure your experience is quite, quite useful in, in your profession. Oh, absolutely. It, it really does help. Uh, I feel like, um, you know, you definitely don't have to be a person in recovery to be a substance use counselor, but, but I, I, it doesn't hurt. Dan, I want to hear about your experience as a, are you recovery for alcoholism? I'm recovery from everythingism. Okay. <laughs> <I> <laughs> um, if, if that's a thing. Yes, I think it is. <laughs> so so I, I, I enjoyed it all um, and enjoy, I use that term loosely. Yeah. Um, I'll say I enjoyed it till I didn't, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just like it worked till it didn't. But, you know, my story, like on, on a lot of other people's, starts, um, I, you know, I didn't have this of this tra- traumatic event. Now I kind of get to that a little later. It was trauma growing up for sure. I didn't know that was trauma at the time. It was just what was normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but that being said, I just, I, I've always felt different as a, as a kid. I can remember feeling completely different. And I, I didn't really, again, I didn't have anything to compare that to because I didn't really talk with the other kids like, Hey, how Johnny, how you feeling today? Like we didn't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I grew up with was just what I knew as my normal, but it, I just remember feeling different is all I can tell you. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to your story a bit and could, could relate so much to that. Um, in that, you know, I remember that first time I drank, um, I remember that like it was yesterday and why I'm 47 today. It just, I remember it like it was yesterday, like I said, and it was in junior high school. Mm. Um, I shouldn't remember it that vividly. Right. But I do. It was, uh, of all things, it was nasty cherry brandy. But I remember, and I remember you said, you know, you woke up sick. Well, I didn't even get to go to bed because I got sick immediately because I drank so much of it. Mm-hmm. But I remember automatically feeling accepted. Um, and, and, and that, I remember that vividly like, wow, this is, this is, a, this is what's up right here. This is what, what I've kind of been looking for, I guess, in a sense. And uh, now, when you, you say you accepted, know, I'm sorry, when you say accepted, do you mean accepted by other people or by kind of peers. self-acceptance? Well, both really, okay. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think more so with peers, which allowed me to have some self-acceptance, um, you know, and it just progressed really rapidly from there. Um, it was, you know, a weekday, this happened. And then, you know, I have a long, I have an extensive history of alcoholism that runs through my family. Um some drug abuse with our, with our, I say our younger generations, myself and, and maybe the generation prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but our, our grandparents, well, I never knew my grandparents, but I, I know that one of them died from cirrhosis of the liver. So, I, and my mother had alcohol, con- uh, you know, we'll just say alcohol concerns. Okay. Um, but she was an alcoholic. And, and so she died sober, but most of her life lived in that way. So it was, a. Uh, you know, I was off to the races once it started. And, uh, you know, mind you, I didn't really know any of that once it started. Um, my family moved around a lot. We moved. My, my stepmother had a, a job that required us to travel. And so, you know, I moved from Memphis to Dallas and, and Dallas to Houston, Houston to a little country town called Montgomery in Texas. Then I moved to Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so it was it was while looking back as an adult with some coping skills, it was a great adventure. It was glad I got to do it. But at the time it was awful. You know, it was always the new kid already insecure. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and it's real easy for people to say, well, just get some coping skills and just like everybody else. But if you don't know and you can't, you're not taught that, how do you know? Right. You know, how do you know how to find these? My dad, my father didn't have them. Uh, my, my stepmother certainly didn't have them either. She was at work. So, so none of us had them. Um, and, and so my only way to, to cope with that was to go with the people I knew were getting high drinking mm-hmm. and, and, and Hey, how you guys doing? I'm from Texas. Let's, let's, let's hit that or whatever. And it was an instant friendship. Yeah. You, you know? And, uh, so it's unfortunate, but that, that's the, that's the route it was. And so it was very challenging moving around from place to place to place. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, unlike, I mean, like everybody else, it just, it, it's, it's just as, as, as so I'll, I'll jump ahead a second and say, I sure. got sober um, in August of, of 2010. I'm sorry, 2000, yeah, 2000, no, 2009. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, I got sober in a 12 step in AA. I'll just, I didn't have money for treatment or counseling. I, that's where I got sober. Yeah. And, and just like you'll hear me refer to this group often um, is, is, you know, that book says that this is, this is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Yeah. Um, and I found that to be very accurate in my, looking back at my life. Mm-hmm. Um, just chaos and out of control. Yeah. You know, um, not something I, you know, it's not a big deal for me to talk about today by any means, but I literally didn't start living life till 37 a year or two in because you know I was pretty rough in the beginning um trying to figure this sobriety thing out it's so a big I, I can identify with that because I got sober at 39 also um, my last drink was in August of 2012 although I did enter a program of recovery in May of 2012 um and slipped a couple of times until my last drunk which was uh, the evening of August 19th and you know th- at 39 you know, I've lived, you know, such a long life of not oh. really living the right way. Yeah. And, and um, so, yes, I, I get it how the first couple of years of sobriety, you know, you're, you're kind of being born into this new skin and it feels strange, even though it might be a more a, a healthier skin, you know, because you're learning new tools um, regarding, you know, coping with life and, you know, self-esteem and things of that nature. Um, but it's still... You know, even though it's a good thing, it's still real. I understand. Well, it's a great squirrely. thing, but it's, yeah. it's it's definitely difficult, weird, and foreign. Yeah. Um, all of those things. You know, you you had mentioned that that you know, well, I, first of all, I had enough desire chips to shingle a roof, so my, I didn't come in one time and get it. And I know people that do, and God love them, man. I'm I'm happy for them. I, I see it every day. Yeah. Right. That just wasn't my my route. I, it took me. I I probably tried for ten years. Okay. Before I, uh, at least I say that probably more like seven or eight years. Okay. But I, I truly, you know, I tried and, and, you know, you had mentioned and you, you had said in your story that you felt, thought you were cursed and I, man, that hit home. I'm like, I, that's exactly how I, I felt like I was born without a rule book. Yeah. Like everybody got these rule books at birth and my doctor was on a coffee break or something. I don't know. I, yeah. I, missed, <laughs> I missed the manual. Let's just say. I get right? it. Yep. So, yep. Uh, y- you know, I-, I remember you said something about, you know, when you started drinking, you just couldn't stop. And, and you know, that was the same with me. Um, it just never drinking was always a problem that led to other problems that just 
you know, one on top of the other. And it was always, you know, I can remember waking up and, and drinking and being like, man, if I drink you, you'll kill me. If I don't drink you, you'll kill me. Like, like it was yeah. just, uh, it was a, the, you know, I tell my clients today, like the mental obsession, and this is where it does, in my opinion, help to have this experience. And I'm like, I just can't give that to you. I don't, there's not words for me to describe that in, in fairness and have you really truly grasp that. Like when I'm talking to families, if, you, if you've never had that mental obsession, it, it's di- very difficult to define. But if you've had it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a crazy psychological just weight that, that it's, it's, for me, it was unbreakable for, uh, for 25 years. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was bad. And, and then getting, getting drunk led to doing, you know, doing dope, doing pills, doing whatever, just doing something. I. So every time it was, uh, you know, it was only fun for a few years, if I really am being honest. And then yeah. for 20 of those years, it, it was really a, a nightmare. Not. I'm not going to pretend there wasn't some good moments in there because I'd be silly to say there wasn't. Um, but they were so far and few between. It, it was just that it was a, it was really a, not a very good existence. Yeah. You know, something resonated with me when you were when you were just sharing, Dan, about how, um, you know, the, the psychological the chaos that goes on um, when you're in active addiction, um, whether you realize it or not, but, you know, we, when we finally get sober and we put down the bottle, we're, we're, you know, we're losing that crutch, but we're also losing that, I guess, that other voice in our head that we're so used to battling it out with. And, you know, like, I, I know, like, I'm not, I don't have a PhD, you know, I, I just have life experience and, and I know that, you know, how easy it can be for pe- the more we live like as a victim, as, you know, battling it out with someone, whether it be like a spouse or a friend or a parent or with that other voice in our head, that alcoholic voice in our head, it's hard to break free of that, you know, especially if we've done it for so long. And, and so that leads me to ask you, like, you also mentioned um, that you had about seven years of, of trying to adapt to this program of recovery mm-hmm. what was it did you did you first of all i guess it's a, a twofold question but during those seven to ten years did you did you find that you were that you learned things that stayed with you um and kind of planted themselves in you or did you just not get it like were you and and then at the at the end of those seven years when you finally I guess hit ground zero um what was different like what what was different for you so that's a great question and and so for me it was both of those things I didn't get it at all um but there were some things that stuck around for sure so you know I had tried Let's say I thought about it for a very long time. I knew I had needed to stop. I wanted to stop. But my whole life existed around that. Everybody I knew, the people I surrounded myself with, right? It was kind of my identity is that dude that, that parties too much. And I, I say that parties, it was hardly a party. Yeah. Uh, but that dude that's just out of control, that dude's going to cause problems. I, I, that was my identity, right? And, and rightfully so. Um, so I, I had gone to, a, I had a family friend sober up. Uh, from heroin use and I was able to I I tried to get into some treatment through a girlfriend at the time 
it was a wait list. And so we just couldn't do it. And I kind of detoxed at her house and then was able due to this family friend to get into a halfway house. And it was, for me, it was a terrible experience. Um, And I don't want to discredit sober living homes because they're phenomenal. My experience was this was just a, it just wasn't the fit I needed before. If I'd gone through treatment, it'd be a different story, but I didn't. Long story short, I left in four days. And, uh, you know, that was one of the first times I had tried. Moving past that, it was, uh, you know, the first time I really got involved in, in, in a 12-step program, I stayed sober for about 13 months. Um, but I didn't do any of the work. I got mm-hmm. through, I think, like a part of a fourth step and, and really didn't read the book. But I went to a t- ton of meetings because that's I knew that if I was there I was safe and I felt good when I was there the chaos stopped for a little bit at least mm-hmm. um and, and so I wasn't trying to be different I wasn't trying to buck the system I just felt okay for the first time in my life and I was learning some things so I still didn't get it and then about 13 months in I did everything they told me not to do I got in a relationship with someone in AA cuz nobody understood me like her right Uh, one of the worst mistakes I ever made there and and, and probably for her as well Um, (laughs) you know because of course we started using again Um, and the reality is as last I knew she never could get sober again but I I don't know about that Um, it it was really a sad situation so it was just a chaotic situation I I did that but I got to a place so there's a there's a a part in the the big book that talks about the businessman and so when I'm trying to talk to my clients about the program of, of Alcoholics Anonymous or 12-step programs in general, how, yes, the, they're antiquated and, yes, the stories are old, but how can you relate those stories to you today? And the businessman fits all of us, I think, at some point in our lives. We've had this experience. So for me, my last event wasn't – it just wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened, but it, it was the last thing that ever happened, we'll say. So my father passed away in 1993 when I was 20. Mm-hmm. just before I turned 21 and my family had not been together since. And so my stepmother wanted to rent a beach house and have the family get together. And it was, it was a pretty big deal, right? Like it was, it was a huge deal actually. And I found literally a week before two weeks before this event, I, of course I've been drinking and, and whatnot the whole time, but I started using pills Mm-hmm. And, and I relate that to the businessman in the sense that how, I just you couldn't wait two weeks for this big event, like literally, like it was just something that that, that was my M.O. It was, you know, if there was something happening, I'm going to I'm going to self-sabotage it somehow without mm-hmm. really that wasn't my intent by any means. But I, I, I kind of just where the businessman talks about, I found myself banging my fist on the, on the bar asking, how did I get here? Well, I was the same way. Like, how, how could I do that two weeks before this event to my family, right? And so I was asked to leave. <clears throat> and it caused, I have a sister who, who's been probably the closest relative to me. Well, not probably, definitely an older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she's, she's phenomenal. But she and I had a kind of a falling out over it. And that was an eye opener for me. That was okay. That something's got to change. I'm in this marriage that that should never be. Uh, it's codependent. It's chaotic. It's drug and alcohol fueled. You know, I've now crossed this boundary with the one person who's always supported me, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I drank for a few more weeks after that. But that was the catalyst that said, I, I, I'm just tired of being tired. Um, mm-hmm. and, and here's the issue is, is it's an identity crisis for me. It was in the sense that I couldn't really hang out with the people <clears throat> using dope because they're like, dude, go home. Like, and when the dope man's telling you to go home, that's a problem, right? Yeah, the right. people drinking at the bars, they don't want you around because you're always, the, I was always the, the one out of control and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I don't want to hang out with these people in recovery. This AA thing, I definitely don't want to hang out there, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm in this no man's land of what do I do? I have no coping skills, no education because I dropped out of school in the tenth grade. Uh, I had gone to a a a alternative school. I say tenth grade. It may have been eleventh. It was somewhere in there. Either way, it wasn't good. Um, and, and then. You know, I decided to dive into this 12-step program. I'd gotten a GED before that and, and moved on. But long story longer, I, I just I got engaged. I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to at least give it a try. And I, I became that dude. I became the AA guy, which I didn't want to do, but I didn't have any options until I could find my own identity. It taught me how to find me. For that, I owe my life. Yeah, and you know that mm-hmm. I, I, I get that. Um, and I know some people who are new in a program of recovery or not having worked a program of recovery when they, you know, they hear about steps um, and they think, Oh, it's this awful experience. And it's really about self-discovery, you know, and I know that that's been my experience that I know that I did not know who the heck I did. I didn't know that I didn't know who I was. Um, And, and that, and so it was, it was just such a, such a beautiful transform experience, um, albeit emotionally difficult at times, to to really uncover the true Sarah, the authentic Sarah. You know, the 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 woman that I, the person that I was meant to be here on this earth, and and once getting to that place, you know, having the confidence about being that person then you can go ahead and live your life. And it just, and I think that's why a lot of us who have shared experiences, like what I'm just sharing, I think that we just want to kind of shout from the rooftops, but you know, it's absolutely better way. And I think you, you, you touch on something that's so true. Like, like, so coming in, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to like what I find like in me, right? right? What if I, what if I don't like, what if so I, I was super, super angry. Mm. I was abusive to any relationship I'd ever been in. Uh, nothing about me was healthy, codependent, un- abusive, angry. And my father was super angry. Right. And, and I, I just thought this is my lot in life. And I thought, well, what if I get sober and uncover that this is still just who I am? Like, this is me. And that scared the heck out of me, man. Um you know, it's terrifying to get sober, but, but through that process of, uh, of just learning that it's, it's, you can control some of these things as far as your anger and your, your things. And this is not who you are. Um, yeah, right. And to get, get through that. Cause I was angry. I was very angry, um, for a long time. And, you know, when you get to a place in recovery to, where you don't have to be that way anymore, where you've, you've healed, you know, wounds of your past that have, you know, made you 
into a negative, resentful, passive aggressive person, you know, when we get to that place, it's just such a relief, right? To not, to not feel angry every day, to not go to bed angry about something. Oh man, it absolutely is. That that's the biggest gift I think I was given is, is I don't have to be, you know, I learned something. I was at a presentation recently on trauma and the lady said, and I'll, I'll never forget this quote. She said, you know, abnormal behavior in an abnormal situation is normal behavior. And to me, growing up in that anger and that and that stuff was just normal behavior. Right. Right. So as silly as it sounds to say I didn't know right from wrong, of course we knew right from wrong. Right. We knew it wasn't right, but that was our normal behavior. That was our abnormal reaction to an abnormal situation. Um, anyway, yeah. I'm getting way off there, but it's uh, it, it's interesting to learn that. So so getting sober. So I mentioned I dropped out of high school in the 10th yep, grade, yep. got a GED. You know, I, I end up getting a job painting houses. A, a sister of mine had a friend who needed a helper when I moved here from Texas and I mean, from Alaska. And, uh, you know, I'd never painted before. He took me under his wing. Great dude. Love him to this day. Um, you know, I didn't need an education for that. Uh-huh. I, I did that for about 10 years. And then I opened my own painting company for about nine years. And again, you don't need an education for that. I was good at my craft. It was an honest living. I made okay money, um, you know, went through that phase. But then I got some some medical problems due to a number of things, due to Ill, uh, lifestyle, family history, mm-hmm. you, you know, smoking, the whole thing. I had some painting for 37, you know, for 20 years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at that point, I, I got sick enough. I had to close my business down almost overnight. Oh, wow. Right. So it was it was rough. And I remember driving in a car and I was just sharing this with somebody recently. And and a person I was with said, you know, they were going to this college, the community college here in Houston called Lone Star College. And uh, they literally were trying to encourage me, like, look, you can do anything. I'm like, all I've ever done is paint houses. They're like, no, you can't. You know, you've got customer service experience on and on and on. And they opened the book up and said, well, you can be a drug and alcohol counselor. Well, mind you, this was I got sober in August. I was in school in January. Wow. Um, And you hear this all the time. And I still hear it from my people today that something's different. This time, something was different. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just something was different. I was either going to do this or I was one of two things were about to happen. I was going to get sober or I was going to drink till I died. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that. So I chose the sober. And I went to school and I met these professors that just this field, it was just, it was everything that was supposed to happen, happened for me. I did really well in the school. I got my, my chemical dependency license and I went to work for one of the premier treatment centers in Houston, a place called Memorial Herman Park. It was great. Um, it, it trained me well. It, it enabled me to then get a supervisor's license and go out into a private practice. Um, but, you know, through that was it didn't just happen overnight. It was a process. I'm in my last class to get my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And I share that with you as somebody who had no confidence, dropped out of high school, did these things. But that is all a direct result of getting sober and not just getting sober, because, look, anybody knows how not to drink or use dope. Right? They know how not to get high. they know how not to get high. Don't use dope. Don't get drunk. Don't drink. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's the being in recovery piece yeah. that working those steps, helping others, just the whole thing, the fo- looking inside 
really, I, I, that's a direct result of, of that process is where I sit today. But, but I do want to say something. So I'm in my last semester of doing this, this uh, graduate program. And, and the late, I'm in a substance use class of all things, and I get a kick out of that. Like the easiest for last, right? But right. <laughs> all that said for me is, is what she made us do is give up something to that that was significant for the this is an eight week course to give it up for eight weeks. And I, I kind of balked at it. I'm like, look, I've done this. I've given up cigarettes. I've given up dope. I've given up alcohol. Like I know what I've worked with them for ten years. I know what it feels like. But I said, you know, I hadn't challenged myself in a while. I'll play along. And I gave up sodas and Red Bulls, like so Coke Zeros. And, and I, I, something I've been wanting to give up for a while, I drink to excess, like I do everything to excess. And, and, <laughs> right? <clears throat> that, yep. I'm amazed at 10 and a half years sober, the behaviors and the feelings I'm talking about, like that come back. Yeah. Um, it, it's I, firsthand, it was, you know, I found myself the first week, no problem, it's Coke. Like it's not that big a deal, right? It's Coke Zero even. That was my judge. It's Coke Zero. Who cares? It's not even real Coke, right? Um, but I find myself pulling up to a gas station thinking, well, I should just go get a Red Bull. This professor doesn't need to know. Like, who does that? <laughs> oh, my God. It was Luckily, I'm self-aware and can kind of chuckle at it. But then I find the obsession comes back. And I'm like, I find myself thinking about these Cokes and, and Red Bulls more than I should. Let's put it that way. Um, and I'm just like, this is really out of control how quickly those behaviors come back to you. Yeah, and um, that's amazing. And did you have any physical withdrawal? I don't think, no, I don't think I did that at all. Uh, you know, maybe have a headache here or there from the caffeine, because I did drink a lot of it, but no, nothing nothing too major. But it, the, the, again, that mental obsession of, and the rationalization and the justification of, well, it's just fine. She's she's a professor. She doesn't need to know. She's not, what is, it's a Coke Zero for the love of God. <laughs> It's not even that big a deal, right? And then as I'm having this internal dialogue, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, like, seriously, I know you recognize this. Um, mm-hmm. But it just amazed me. It fascinated me how just instantly that old behavior comes back. Yeah, um, that and, thinking. That's crazy. That's sick so, thinking. Yeah. So, well, go ahead. I, was, I have well, a question for you, but. Well, I was just going to say, so in the big book, it says, you know, if we rest on our laurels, alcohol is a subtle foe. So for me, what that says is, is look, if I miss a meeting, am I doomed to drink? Probably not. Now, maybe the first first little while, maybe there was no telling today. No, certainly not. I have a whole different program of recovery I choose to do today. But that being said, if I don't do something every day to take care of myself, and for me, that's take care of my recovery. Then, you know, these behaviors do come back. And if I don't, if I don't treat that, for lack of a better term, I, I mean, I know where that leads. Yeah, it's a daily reprieve. One thing that I I just don't get, and maybe you can explain it to me, is the difference between alcohol use disorder and alcoholism. Like, is there a difference? Like, why? Like, what? What? How did alcohol use disorder come to being? There's a a thing called the DSM five. Are you familiar yep. with the DSM? At all? I, okay, I am. So that is okay. So that is how we we come up with diagnosis, right? It, mm-hmm. And a lot of this is insurance driven, meaning you know you can't treat something without a diagnosis. 
And in the prior version of the DSM, it was, uh, you know, substance use disorder, but there was a lot of specifiers and classifications of, you know, a true psychosocial look at a person. But this has got substance use disorder, mild, moderate, or severe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I, I think just like the book talks about, there's heavy drinkers, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe a heavy drinker has an alcohol use disorder that's mild. It's not, it's not what we would necessarily say the train's off the tracks, um, but it's causing some significant problems in their life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they look at the consequence of that. Where you know you know as well as anybody, alcoholism can shape, take shape in, in the form of binge drinking for somebody that drinks every few times a month or a few times a year that's as much of an alcoholic as I was drinking every day. Mm-hmm. Now people may argue that, but the reality is we all know that, that from the book and from the research that alcoholism is defined by what happens to us when we drink, right. not how often we drink. Now how often can matter, but if I can't stop once I start and it's causing me significant problems in, in areas of vocation, social you know, relationships, on and on, th- then that's a problem. Right. So so while they're one and the same, I, I think it can be separated because I know you'd mentioned in the beginning about the difference in use and, and abuse. And, and here's the reality. You know, we kind of have a, a saying in our field here that 85 percent of the world can drink normally. Right. Hey, more power to them. I'm not anti-alcohol. Let me be clear. Right. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, knock yourself out. Right. I, I'm one of the 15 percent that can't. And I don't need you to tell me. I don't need a group of strangers to tell me. I don't need a counselor to tell me. My own experience has told me, with the help of all three of those things, mm-hmm. that, that this is this is what you might want to pay attention to, your own experience. And, and I've shown myself time and time again, I, I'm not that person that can do that. Um, you know, the big book says in, in 1939, it, I believe it came out, and it said, you know, we have an allergy to alcohol. Our brains and bodies don't react and saying, well, research has since caught up to that. And so that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether you have a predisposition or not, you know, addiction takes place in the part of the brain that's instinctual, right? So what the big book was calling an allergy in 1939, science has caught up to that and said, yes, this is exactly what happens. Um, Mm -hmm. So so while while there's people that can use dope on the weekend and and hang out with their with their boys or the girls or do whatever and go to work and everything's fine. I don't recommend that to anyone, but, mm-hmm. but that, that there's people that can do that. I was just never the, those people. And so I think there's a big difference when you start having the consequences and continue to do the same thing, you know, kind of like where we say the definition of insanity. I think that's where you kind of distinguish a difference. Thank you for clarifying that. Is there one common thread with your, with your incoming clients, like a, a commonality, um, that that's really distinctive to you. Sure. It's a, it's a, absolutely. And I think it's with most people in in recovery and I don't care if you're an AA, NA, CA, AAA, MBA, any of them, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's one other that follows that, but I'll I'll refrain. Um, it's that, it's that the, the lack of, I feel different. I yeah. feel different than, and self-esteem is at, is at a low, and I don't know how to gain that, right? So I use this as a coping mechanism. And I will say this, over the last, you know, five, six years in particular, 
there's just been such a rise in mental health as well. Right. You know, so much of, of what, what I see and is one feeds the other. Right. So if, if I'm, if I'm sober, then my mental health generally, there's generally a a co-occurring diagnosis of some kind. And that's not me trying to play armchair psychiatrist. That's just the reality. Yeah, there's an anxiety disorder, a depression that sometimes we don't even know we have. Yeah, right. And, and so if I stop with the with the drinking or the using, then that rears its head. Or if 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 that's you know if I'm in a in a depression in a state of depression, what do I do? I want to drink. Right. It's uh so it's uh I think those two things, but I think the, the low self esteem and the, the feeling of indifference. It is really just, uh, just, I, I don't feel the same as everybody else. It's pretty common. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I'm, I mean, that feeling different, in, right? Like I, because yeah. I, I mean, I certainly can identify right. that when anyone says, I just felt different. I don't know. I just felt different. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, and it's, uh, it's, you know, feeling like an alien, right? Like that you're not unable to kind of fit into this world and you don't really understand why. Um, and, um, I just think that's fascinating. And then the mental health, I'm glad you brought that up as well, because I do have some people who, who will give me feedback, um, about the, the, um, podcast and say, oh, it's so important to make sure you talk about mental health and, in, in, you know, conjunction with, um, you know, with al- alcoholism and addiction, you do see a lot of people who have anxiety and or depression, along with their alcoholism more so than not. I absolutely do. And and I want to be very clear on this. Mental health is very important to address. Um, It's not a joke. It's not, you know, you see, and I'll just use the famous people, but people, people pass every day that you talk to the day before that seem fine. Right. And this is, if I had a knock on 12 step recovery, this is what it would be is, is as much as we say, we're all inclusive we're very judgmental towards people with mental health issues in a lot of cases, not everywhere. And I'm, I, I don't want to say everyone, but this has been my experience. And, and I really would like to see that change um, because the reality is this, we all, yes, have depression and for somebody or, or, or anxiety of some, le- on some level, whether it be situated, doesn't make it rise to a disorder necessarily. So if you don't have that, it's very easy for you to say, well, just get over it or just tell somebody who's anxious with a, with an anxiety disorder. Oh, just stop being anxious. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. But if you don't have that, it's easy for you to say, well, all you need to do is work this program and that takes care of itself, but it doesn't. Right. And then you find yourself on the outskirts of a recovery program trying to figure it out. So I would say this, like, just take care of your mental health. There is no shame. The shame is the shame is in not getting the help you need if you have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if you don't have the resources to do it, there are places that work with you. Like that has got to be, you know, I, you know which came first, the chicken or the egg? I got to quit using and drinking, but I also have to, it, it's really just about self-care. And, and I, I do want mm-hmm. I know we're running out of time, but I want to make this point as well. Um, you had mentioned something a little bit about finding kind of a purpose and, 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 you know, that, that recovery had kind of given you that. There's this this gentleman named Victor Frankel who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he says, he who has a why can live through any how. 
Now, the importance of that statement is that he survived Auschwitz, lost his family, his life work, and and became this this great guy in our field. But he who has a why can live through any how. If I have a purpose, right, I, I can I can figure that out. I can get sober as long now that I and now that I have a purpose, I that sobriety's given me this purpose, and that is I feel like to give back and use my experience to help others, I can I can now live through whatever, how I can pay the debt for school. I can write the papers at five in the morning that trust me, I don't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I owe it to the people I work with to be as educated as I can. Now, see, you get me excited talking about this. When we get into yeah. the mental health and, and the, having, a, having a purpose, for, for 37 years, I had no purpose. I wondered this worth wondering, what am I doing here? Like, why... Wanted to to figure out what your write your next obituary. I didn't care enough to mm. do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I never had. Being sober gave me this purpose. Uh, anyway, so That's so wonderful. Yeah, take care of yourselves and figure out your why. I love that. That's a great way to end this this interview. This has been a great great conversation that we've had, and you've provided so much helpful information about addiction. I, I can't thank you enough. I know you're a busy person. So um, well, thank you too for doing for putting on the podcast. I feel useful. You know, when I'm doing this, I feel like my life has meaning when I am when I'm making efforts to pull people together in this in this mission, you know, to to help other people. And, you know, because we all struggle in a lot of ways with with a lot of life's problems, but we don't have to do it alone, you know, and, and hopefully that this podcast can convey that message to people that you don't have to do this alone. Um, That's right. So if you're, if you're struggling, get help. It's there. Right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dan. And I will make sure I put in the, the notes about where you work. So for anyone who, is in your area out in Texas who needs to get help, they know where to go. Well, I appreciate that. And I also do teletherapy now as well. So I can, I actually can practice in many States. Um, but anyway, that's oh, another that's story. Fantastic. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, sure. Dan. Well, thank you again. And I thank hope you, you have the best day of your life. You do the same. Thank you okay. very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it. Mm-hmm.